Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. This is a special episode, number 74, about the Actors Fund. My guests are Renata Marinero, Daniel Arno, Catherine Drury, Christopher Bloodworth, Tim Pinkney, Patch Schwadron, with a special soundbite intro from the Actors Fund acting president, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Actors Fund is such an amazing organization. I've been the chairman of the board now for 13 years, and I've been on the board for about 16 years now. And it's a human services organization that helps men, women, children, anybody that's made their living in show business and the performing arts in times of need or crisis or transition. There's a lot of different programs. People can go online at actorsfund.org and find out what we're about. One of the main issues we're dealing with, of course, right now, and it's always been an issue for performers, is insurance, health insurance. Performers have historically been underinsured or not insured at all and the Affordable Care Act solved that problem and now of course a wrench has been thrown into to the works now so we don't know what's happening with that but we, we just opened a health care center right above the Actors Fund and we've got a lot, of, a lot of places where people can be taken care of not only can they find insurance there but they can get the care that they need. I feel very lucky to be a part of that organization you know I always call myself the luckiest actor in the world because this is all I've ever made my living doing from the time I was 17 years old. I figure when the universe asks you to give back and it's been so nice to you, you should say yes. And it's a joy to say yes. And it feels really good to help people out in that organization. I constantly have people coming up to me and saying, oh, thank you for the work you're doing because so-and-so happened to me or so-and-so happened to my friend and they helped me out or they got me out of this tough situation. So it, it's why I've stayed there for 13 years now as chairman of the board. One of the things that I think is very, very important for people to understand is the Actors Fund is collaboration with people that work in cabaret, in the theater, in film, in television television, writers, directors, circus performers, everybody, comedy workers, people that come together and get great ideas and ways to kind of help people in a part of show business that are maybe not being helped or don't realize that the Actors Fund is for them as well. That's so important. Thank you so much. So I'm sitting here at the Actors Fund with Tim Pinkney, who is the producer and a staff writer here at the Actors Fund. How are you doing? Doing great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So uh, one of your jobs is what everyone knows mostly about, <laughs> is you get to produce all the, the big shows. I do. But before we get to that, you have a personal history with the Actors Fund, and also, how did the Actors Fund get started? I, I heard it was to help for funerals initially. Yeah, I mean, the Actors Fund is over 130 years old. I wasn't there. But, uh, and a lot of people, you know, the people like Buffalo Bill were involved in the initial creation of the Actors Fund, and which has a lot to do with why it's called the Actors Fund, because anybody who worked in the entertainment industry during that time was considered an actor. So if you were a backstage person, you were still considered an actor. Mm. So a lot of it came from there wasn't funding or interest in having a proper burial for actors, because, you know, theatricals were such shady types or thought of that way as we still think of them now you know <laughs> from the beginning the actors fund has been set up to take care of its own to take care of the community and that's what we've always done and that's what the organization continues to do we do have you know at times when somebody that was in our business that doesn't have any family the actors fund will still bury them and take care of them to make sure that they have a proper burial at the time of their death you know we've expanded and done so much more we're probably best known for the nursing home in Englewood, New mm. Jersey, which is 
a breathtaking facility. It's unbelievable how beautiful it is out there and how comfortable it is and how good the food is and how beautiful the grounds are. I know we all sort of sometimes joke about ending up in Englewood. We should all be so lucky as to end mm. up in Englewood. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility. And then here in town, you know, we help people with supportive housing and help them find affordable housing. We have the Friedman Health Clinic upstairs, so you can have all your medical care done here at the Actors Fund. They take every kind of insurance. If you don't have insurance, they'll help you get insurance. And if you don't qualify for some reason, they will still make sure you get the medical care you need. Financial assistance, all kinds of 12-step programs that are based here in the Actors Fund. There's a AIDS HIV initiative. There's the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative. There's the whole career center for people that are looking for parallel careers for what they want, and it's all under the roof of the Actors Fund. The Actors Fund has like over 20-some programs, all available to anyone who works in the entertainment industry. So not just actors, but directors, singers, writers, people that work in film, cameramen, grips, ushers in the theater, box office people, any aspect of the theater, you can come to the Actors Fund for assistance. That's amazing. Free of charge. And it seems like it was during a hard time of the age crisis is when the Actors Fund really put its roots down and was like, we need to help. Well, as you know, as you know, this community was gutted by the AIDS crisis during the height of the crisis in the, I guess, probably the mid-80s into the mid-90s. That, For me, I mean, my memory is that 10-year that period where our industry was particularly hit. But it, you know, it certainly started right in the beginning in the early 80s and you know there are people still a lot of people still dealing with it right now i worked in intake and registration at gay men's health crisis and if you could get a new client into the actors fund that was like winning the lottery mm. because the care that people get here is extraordinary yeah and didn't you want to start working at the actors fund because actors fund helped someone special in your life yeah my best friend david circo who passed away in 1992 he was uh, a dancer an actor and the finest person i ever knew when david became sick most of his care outside care was coming from the actors fund they always made sure that his insurance premiums were paid i mean down to making sure his rent was paid making sure that he had groceries in his apartment he had a buddy that came to you know like when i couldn't be there it was amazing to see them do what they do to watch my friend just be taken care of so he could focus on just trying to stay well yeah you know so it takes the beauty of an organization like this is when you are dealing with any kind of life-threatening illness or any crisis or challenge it takes the pressure off you from the real world if you're worried about how your bills are going to get paid or where am i going to live or how am i going to do this the actress one takes that all off the table so you can focus on being you know the best version of yourself and take care of yourself and so that made, this place made such a big impact on you that how long have you been working here now? 18 years. 18 years. That is incredible. <laughs> and It is incredible. And, and what, it's great. The part of the Actors Fund that you do, I think, is the part that all of us are more familiar with. Like, right. we go see, like, oh, my God, look at the, I just saw the Millie concert, which was incredible. And you're Thanks. doing a When Pigs Fly concert. Uh -huh. So the scheduling and the dealing with that must be like a headache in a good way but that's before you even start rehearsals so how, I mean how do you put together such an extravaganza that's for one night well what's great is that because we're the actors fund this people step up and mm. really help us a lot because we do help everybody in entertainment you know the different people that I go to you know I get some people will volunteer materials and goods that we need some people will just give us a great concession and make it affordable for us to do this 
you know, the actors, of course, the actors, nobody works harder than the actors and they volunteer their time. And if the level of talent didn't make themselves available to us, these events wouldn't take place. Right. You know, because that's how we were able to do it. You know, but this community, I mean, there's no, there's no community that's as generous as this community with their time and their talent. And to see... You know, when I look back on that, in 2015, we did the big bombshell concert. Oh, right, yes. And those dancers rehearsed seven hours a day, six days a week, you know, for free. Because they did it for the Actors Fund. And I, I look, they all wanted to be dancing together again, and they wanted to be a part of it, and I yeah. get all that. But yeah. they, they really did it because they, they care about the message and the mission of the Actors Fund. And that sort of dedication, every time I walked into that room, I would just take my breath away because they were, they're so crazily talented. And but that's, that's always true. You know, I'm, because I'm behind the scenes guy and I'm dealing with the money and the budgets and all the lo- logistics that are going to make this happen, I don't always get into the rehearsal room as much as I want to. Mm. So as soon as I walk into that room and I hear people singing or I see them dancing or I see doing whatever they're doing for whatever show this is, you know, it's like 50 pounds of weight gets dropped off my shoulders and I sit back and I go, oh my God, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, that Millie concert, you've never seen a love fest like that cast coming back together to do that show for one night. Yeah. It was, it was extraordinary. I got an uh, actress fund comp. I won't drop names how I got it. But it was... It was not me. <laughs> it was one of the best seats and one of the best nights <laughs> that I've had in years. It reminded me, because I think... Uh, one of the reasons I've been coming to the Actors Fund is I was <clears throat> going through a difficult time just emotionally and I needed support. I've come here years ago for financial support. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was here, I was realizing, like I came during a dark time and I was getting out of that dark time. And then the, I saw the Millie concert and I realized this is why I'm in New York. This is what I love. This is There are so many things that you remember because I think being, you go through a lot of hard times, even if you're successful. And knowing that the Actors Fund is a random safety net that you didn't even know was there. Exactly. And I can't believe that I didn't know it was there and it's been like 22 years. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, generally when we do a big event like this, about a week or two after it's over, I'll get a call from somebody in the show that says, I'm really having trouble paying my rent or I really don't have any money. I don't have this or, you know, I need health insurance. Do you have any idea where I should go? And I'm like, dude, you just did an event for the Actors Fund. Yeah. You know, people don't understand that it's here for them, you know, and... And look, nobody likes to ask for help. Right. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. And it's really hard, I think, for people in our business. It's hard to ask for help. Everybody here gets it. That's why the Actors Fund, I think, is so special. We understand this profession. We understand what it takes to do this. We understand what your schedule is every day. I mean, something like the Freedman Center, we have extended hours there because we know you're not on a nine to five schedule. We plan and create our services to serve the unique needs of this community. We get what this community is about. I think that makes a huge difference how we serve this community. So. And it's not just here when you're in dire need, it's it's yeah. here just for maintenance yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. Yeah. Or something happens in the world, you know, like if there's like some, some catastrophic event, you know, like some storm or act of nature that, you know, that screws up your housing. Or, you know, you're depressed because of the election and you want to talk to somebody about that. Yeah. You can come here. We, uh, it's all here. It's all under this. And if we don't have it, they also have huge lists of referrals of places that might be better fixed to, to, to serve what you're looking for at that time. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a remarkable resource that you should, anybody in this business should know about and should know that it's here to be taken. We are here for you, so take advantage of it, you know. 
So I'm curious how you got to the Actors Fund because in a weird way, it's your side job because you're, <laughs> you are a successful and published playwright. You just had a play open in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you probably are a playwright. I mean, you are a playwright. Correct. This huge other job that you do is equal or secondary. How did you decide being a playwright, I'm also going to work for the Actors Fund? It, well, you know, I, I started writing later in my life. It wasn't something I always did. I was an actor for 10 years. Mm. And then when my friend David got sick, I pulled out of the business completely and focused all my attention working full-time at Gay Men's Health Crisis. Mm. And I was there for over four years working directly with in client services. And in that time is when I started to write. And I wrote my first play. And I was very fortunate. My first play got produced at Rattlestick Theater. After that happened, I actually got a grant to write. So I took a year off to write. So I was doing that and then of course the money was running out, you know, yeah. like it does. <laughs> and I got a call from my friend Catherine Cook who no longer works here. They were going to do a celebrity auction online for the Actors Fund to raise money and she asked me if I was interested in coming in to sort of freelance and just set up this auction for them, which was something I knew absolutely nothing about. So I said, sure, of course I will. <laughs> of course I'll do it. And while we were doing that, we did a big event with the Christopher Reeve Foundation, an oh. event that was called First You Dream. They wanted to do this big stage show and honor Chris Reeve, which we did. Seth Rudetsky was the musical director for that. And it was a great night. It was Marin Maisie and Kristen Chenoweth, Phoebe Newworth. I mean, it was just, it was, it was a great, but we'd never done anything like that before this oh. kind of evening. And then Seth Rudetsky came back and met with Catherine and I and said, I want to do Dreamgirls with Otter McDonald and Lilius White. And we said, that would be cool. Can we get Heather Headley? Yeah, let's do it with Heather Headley. And it like literally happened with us sitting around this table, and not this table, but a table. And from there we just said, let's put on a 20th anniversary concert of Dreamgirls. And Dreamgirls was your first? Uh-huh. Wow. And honestly, I think about how I do this job now, and at the time, it was like, we really didn't know what we were doing. We knew it had to get done, because we'd all worked in the business. Right. You know, so we all knew what had to happen. And we did then what I do now. We surrounded ourselves with the best talent we could get on stage and behind the scenes. And it all just sort of miraculously came together. It, you know, it was a crazy time because Dreamgirls was two weeks after 9-11. It was a completely sold out night. The atmosphere in the city at that time, I mean, it was it was an extraordinary night. Yeah. You know, and we made, the actors made a lot of money. So for a few years, we just would do these big concerts every year. And that became my job, you know, was working on these concerts. And then we, we just have done all kinds of events since then. The big concerts are a little more challenging to do. They're very expensive to do. And it's, it's really challenging to find something that's an actual event. Mm. Like we got so that we were doing, I think as, as our shows went on, we did better productions of shows because we got better at doing them. Right. But they weren't making as much money because we were just putting on great productions of this show, but this show wasn't necessarily an event the mm. way Dreamgirls was an event, right. the way Chess was an event, or Funny Girl. So, uh, but then something like Millie comes along, you know, where you're going to have a reunion of that amazing cast. Yeah. It's an event. Yeah. You know, Bombshell was an event. Yeah. You know, so it's always looking for something like that. Yeah. You know, and we do, and we've done really well. I'm, I'm very lucky. It's a, it's a great job, and yeah. I get to work with this amazing community, you know, all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I got to do On the 20th Century. I thought it was so great. Kathleen Turner came in yeah. and did like a... 
a spot, and it was just an amazing cast. That might be my favorite. That, that, I thought that was one of the best ones we ever did. Yes, I'll take it. Oh, absolutely. You should take it. But I mean, come on, Marin Maisie and Dunk Sills in that play? Oh, it was so come great, on. you know? And I got to, I mean, the, the porters were uh, Dennis Jones tapping. Yeah. I was just like, this was, I mean, it was fun. I don't think I could tap like that again. <laughs> like, my, a little too old. Because I think it was my first and only one. I mean, I've done, but the Actors Fund also, Broadway shows do an Actors Fund uh-huh. performance which is a ninth performance and all the money goes to Actors Fund. Everyone donates their time. Well, IATSE, do they? Well, all the actors, musicians, and front of house producers donate that night. The other unions, if anybody that doesn't donate that night, those are also organizations that support this organization in different ways. Great. So we don't point fingers at them because they're very generous to the Actors Fund. And I just remember, I saw the Actors Fund of Fosse Mm-hmm. and the Actress Fund of Saturday Night Fever. And just being in those audiences oh, that amazing. night, oh, just because, I mean, everyone walks in and they're excited. The cast is exhausted, but they're so excited because they know what they're doing, who's it for, and who's in the audience. Yeah, because the audience, it's its really, it's kind of like, it almost feels like opening night again. The best part is, is it's usually a performance where all the other shows are off, or a lot of the other shows are off. Right. So you're, the, the room is filled with other actors, finally getting to see their buddies do their show and the enthusiasm and the energy from the audience. We actually had a preview performance of Frozen. And really? It was like the walls were going to come down to, out of the theater and the cast said afterwards, you know, because, you know, they've been, you know, they've been rehearsing all day and then doing previews. That cast was working really hard and they were getting closer and closer to opening and then suddenly in the middle of this they had this Actors Fund performance and they were, the whole cast was tweeting about, you know, can we have an Actors Fund audience every night? You oh, know, that's so it was great. Just, the enthusiasm was just you know, over the top. It was crazy. It was really fun to see it like that. Two last questions. I don't know if you can say what's next for the Actors Fund concert-wise, but what's next for you? You're writing like crazy? I mean, because that's, I think that's what's amazing is that people have two different lives and that's wonderful. It's a big part of this business though, isn't it? Yeah. We always, you know, a lot of us end up doing a couple things so that we can keep doing what we love. Yeah, I just had a remarkable production of my play Still at Risk at the New Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, which was beautifully received and it was a gorgeous production and so now we're you know we're hustling to getting it getting it into some other theaters doing some work to try and get it done here because this is where it belongs yeah hopefully that will happen in my lifetime (laughs) and in the meantime you know yeah we have you know it's funny after the millie concert and all the wonderful reaction to the millie concert suddenly everybody has the idea for a reunion concert so right. everybody wants to do a reunion concert i'm taking a lot of meetings and talking to a lot of people yeah and, uh, just trying to find that next event that will actually be an event put something out there that the audiences are really going to want to see but you know the only reason we do any of these shows is to raise money for this organization yeah that's always of course the first thing i look at can i make money on this for the actors fund it's going to be a very busy year we have our gala on may 14th which will be the marriott marquee where we're honoring warren Beatty. Really? Warren Beatty, y'all. Kenny Leone, the brilliant director. Oh, yeah. And Cheetah Rivera. <gasps> my buddy Cheetah Rivera. Oh, wow. So um, uh, it's going to be a really exciting oh, night. So I'm looking forward to working on that and doing that. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. I did the, the Actress Fund of Cheetah Rivera. Uh, Which one? Her birthday, 80th birthday. Oh, that was Broadway Cares. That was, oh, Broadway Cares. Okay, I'll you know, who's like, No, no, no. That's like our, <laughs> you know, Broadway Cares is like the primary funder of the actors oh okay because you know because they raise crazy amounts of money yeah thank god and a big chunk of the money they raise comes to the actors fund because we provide the services right 
you know, so we're, you know, we're joined at the hip. Yeah, and that's what I thought. Yeah, they're, you I wasn't know, sure. they're the greatest. We love them. Yes, because I know you, when they talk about the Phyllis Newman Health mm-hmm. Initiative, that's not something that happens over in their office. It happens... No, over, they fund it, so it happens here. In this office, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we work very, very closely together. Oh, okay. We love each other. Good, good, good. Yeah, but I'm not interviewing them. No. <laughs> <laughs> they can get their own podcast. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Oh, my God, me. it's my pleasure. Oh, awesome. Hello, I'm sitting here with Patricia Schwadron. You actually go by Patch. That's right. So I'll introduce you as Patch. But we were just chatting about your title and how it's morphed into several different things here at the Actors Fund. Right. So if you could truncate it, what do you think you... Well, I mean, the the, the fact is that I've been working as a career counselor at the Actors Fund for almost 19 years. Oh, wow. So when I came into the Actors Work Program, it had just become... A program of the Actors Fund. Prior to my, like the year before, it had still been its own closet with the job book over at Equity. And after Kathy Schreier, who was the the consultant brought in to do the data gathering, the research on what is the community need, and identified that it was people in the unions and beyond were concerned about sideline work and just managing their careers in the financial business. So they invited the Actors Work Program to come into the Actors Fund and join up with Career Transition for Dancers, which was already a part of the Actors Fund. Oh, okay. And I would just say at that point, Career Transition for Dancers felt that it was basically too specific to dancers and didn't want to be absorbed into the larger entertainment industry performing arts community. They really had a mission which was specifically for dancers and the specific needs of dancers which really have to do with your body is your instrument and generally speaking you go so long before you say I need to create another way of connecting with the world and taking care of myself and creative way and I'm 30. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very different career path than the other disciplines. So Career Transition for Dancers decided to separate from the Actors Fund, but it was always like a sister organization. Oh, okay. And a lot of the same people were on both boards. And Career Transition for Dancers really dedicated its time to raising money for scholarships and grants for education and training for dancers who identified that they wanted to start creating a pathway out of dance or beyond dance. Um, so they, it was a small boutique operation, part of a larger consortium though, an international consortium of dancer in transition organizations around the world. So it really had that identity. By the end of 2015, it was clear that that organization was saying it should join up with a larger organization that was basically caring about the same yes. concerns. Yeah. And that's sort of happening with nonprofits. We just like, we're stronger if we work together. I had been a career counselor with the Actors Work Program all that time, and I started out my professional life as a dancer. You so, did? Yes. So when um, Christopher, who was the new director of the Career Center, National Correct, he was like, no, I, you can't have this job patch because I need you at my left hand because I'm new here and you're the person I need to count on all the time and I would like and I was like no me me and then <laughs> so after interviewing people for a different and he's, he was just frustrated one day and he typed into LinkedIn career counselor and dancer and my face popped up <laughs> I'm saying I'm sorry this is this is my job and it made sense because 
They really needed someone who could grow the program. They needed a, someone who was an Actors Fund person who understood the career needs of the population and also could run a program. Yes. So the, he finally, okay, you can be that and we'll hire another <laughs> career counselor who can be more of a generalist. But, but what's happened because I've been here so long and I've worked with this population so long and I'm such an Actors Fund true blue, I really am the senior person in terms of career programming. So I'm delighted. I mean, I'm so, now he asked me, could you become the senior career counselor for career transition for dancers? And I said, absolutely. And then after two years of that, well, could you just be the career counselor supervisor and just keep an eye on all the career counselors, but focus your one-on-ones and your programming to the dancer program? I said, sure. I mean, I've been doing that anyway. Yeah. So we've spent the last, since 2016, really doing a lot of outreach, getting the word out that the Actress Fund is also for dancers. There was the Dancers Resource Center, and you may be speaking to Catherine Drury. Yes. And that was a a program that was built here by BB New Earth to address just the emotional and career intervening issues that come with injury and other, just how to, where to go when you need real holding, a holding place for the things that can happen to dancers. But the career piece was still a, a, a part-time career counselor at Career Transition for Dancers. So now that the career piece was here and the dancers' resources were here, we really we, we have a, you know, a really robust program for dancers in all aspects of their career management. And it's also expanded. The dancer profile has really opened up the Actors Fund interest, I mean, are added to this interest into the emerging artist. Yes, which I thought that was fascinating, that it doesn't matter if you're a community theater, an opera singer, if you're an artist, you're eligible well, for the we Actors do, Fund. Well, we do, we do say that people need to have worked professionally mm. in order to receive career services okay. or to participate in workshops. The criteria for financial assistance, because the Actors Fund is, does give emergency grants, those criteria are very specific about how long you've been in the industry, your history of earnings and so forth. But what we're trying to get out to the dancer and the general performing arts community is that you're welcome at the Career Center. Yeah. If you work in, your, in this field at all, come learn how to just make yourself more resilient to create a better plan for managing this life. If you're looking for financial assistance or scholarship or grant, you are going to be put through a little stricter earnings and work history criteria. Yeah, well, I know uh, several years ago, uh, I'm going to admit this, I went through a financial difficulty and yeah. I filled out all the paperwork. Yeah. I was eligible and the Actress Fund paid for uh, a month of my mortgage yeah. and my electric bill. Yeah, That was unbelievable i had yeah. no idea and yeah. after doing all the shows and everything like that you don't you never think that you're going to be on the receiving end mm-hmm. but then when you are it was so welcoming and pretty easy process. I mean, yes, I, I had to be vetted, but I mean, it, the, the difficult part was just taking the time to fill out the paperwork, which is just like going to a doctor's office. Yeah, it's a lot of information you have to give. It's a little work for the money. That's <laughs> yeah, and it like gave me a whole month. To, yes. So it's those type of programs that I think I'm shocked and impressed at that people don't take more advantage of. You it. know, I think that what I know is that what we do here is recognize that that's normal, what happened to you, Mm. right? Yes. And so that's the nature of being a periodic episodic worker 
we now talk about a gig economy in this country, but it was always the truth for performers. It was considered like, well, that's a failure if I go to the Actors Fund. It looks like I have failed. Right. And what we're, what the Career Center is is has, an Actors Fund in general is turned from the disaster when disaster strikes to a holistic wellness organization, right? This is really just a, like this big frigate has started to turn. And it was created as a safety net. It did, it was formed because performers had nowhere to go in the late yeah. 1800s because they considered unclean and not real people. And people would pay to be entertained, but like if you can't afford it, get a real job. I mean, the, the general population's attitude toward the performer was that you're not a real worker. Yes. Right? Yeah. And if you aren't successful like we see, you know, who we see in the movies and films, then you're not the real thing, so go get a, get a real job. That's the message here is, okay, we get it. It's normal to have ups and downs. So we're given that that's normal. How, what can you manage? What can mm. you put in place? Uh, so our financial wellness program, great workshops. That I need we to have. take those. Yes, everybody does. Financial wealth, you know, the nuts and bolts of cash flow for artists. And you know, have up and down. Does that mean you don't plan? No, you can plan even when you don't know where the money is coming from. You do, you can have some sense of planning and some sense of what do I need to know? What do I need to do before I just fall off the cliff? And then I have to go to the fund for an emergency grant. So we're, we're trying to say, how can we help build resilience you know, before the roof falls in, but the roof will fall in. I mean, the number of people who, you know, several things happen at the same time. Yep. You know, the show gets closed, you break your ankle, your mother's sick. I mean, all these things can happen at once yeah. and you have no income. And before the Affordable Care Act, you had no health insurance. Right. So the Actors Fund is always, what I admire about it is we're always saying, what is the need of the community now? You know, this is what we did in response to the past stressors and strains. What are the new stressors and strains? So that's in the Career Center, we're talking a lot about entrepreneurship, that every performer needs to think like an entrepreneur. You may literally have a number of businesses that you run, but you have to see yourself as a business person. So. This is like, how are we phrasing this? And that, that's the nature of the gig economy. How do you juggle? We talk about your life as a portfolio career. You have several things going on at once. Is it balanced? When does, you, when does it go out of balance? And if it goes out of balance, then what, what can you do to, to make it a better representation of how you want to spend your time? So it's an ongoing assessment. You're always in it. And uh, what I say, the underlying theme here is managing change. Yeah. It's all about change. Yeah. It's all about change for everybody, but that's everybody else's problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that I would be scared, though, is yeah. thinking that I needed a career transition. I mean, and yes, it, it does happen. So I know walking in here, I, you must deal with people petrified, like, I don't want to have a different career. Yeah. I want to yeah. continue doing yeah. this. And here's the thing. We had to take on that name. That is the official name of that organization. Yeah. As I say, it relates to a cohort of international. But we're really... The career transition for dancers is a program of the Career Center. So for the dancers who are considering, I plan to go to medical school before I became a dancer and now I'm done dancing and I want to go back to medical school, you know, that's f for the people who have that intention, that's what that program is mm. for. The Career Center in general 
and the career management aspect is basically whatever you need. And I try to explain that to dancers. If I could take that T out of there and make it an M for management, mm. you would feel a lot better. Yes. Also, I'd like to make that a lowercase T because we're always in transition. Yes. So the dancers, the dancers, you know, we're trying to get the emerging dancers too. So I've been going out and talking to like graduating or seniors and mostly modern dancers because that's who goes to college. You don't find the ballet dancers in college, generally right. speaking. But, you know, there's a big modern dance life in the, in academia in this country. And these are, these are young dancers who are who want to come to New York and to the main cities. They wanted modern dance is their connection to the world. So I've been going out, like, at Gibney. Do you know about Gibney? Yes, I do. They are doing a series of programs and asking us to provide content about how do you do this. So I have a workshop that's, you know, basically school to career, which is like a two-hour kind of workshop interaction with students who come to New York. Their organizers bring them to Gibney for a day-long workshop. They bring us in to talk about what is what do you have to put in place that you're, in a sense, not even aware that you have in place now. Right. Right? And then what does it look like to be in New York and do that? And it's not like I've never wanted to be the voice that says, this is really hard, don't even try. But it's like, this is really hard, learn how, right? Yes. So it's not it's not the what, it's the how. Yes. Well, I found about. it interesting that you said about accepting yourself as an entrepreneur, which I knew means I should take a course here because like I'm a performer, but now I'm a podcaster and I'm becoming a playwright, but You're I don't- You're doing it. And, and, like, and I'm gigging, I'm thinking I'm surviving and I'm trying to stay creative. Yeah. But it's learning how to say, no, this is- you're managing your career and your career is, cha is changing. Right, so tech, you know, strategies like time management. You know, that portfolio career workshop we do is where we're looking at what's in it and how is it working and our, you know, what are your various needs? And time management, financial management, these are all like, the word of the 21st century is mindfulness, right? Mm, yes. And so every one of these workshops is, you know, how can you be monitor and mindful of what you're doing? You know, you want everything you're doing to be directed toward a goal that you are intentional about. That includes relaxation and eating well, mm -hmm. I mean, and watching your dollars and taking care of your family or whatever your relationships are. This is like really, as I said, a holistic view of what it is to be a working artist in this country. Is It's all on you to determine what it's going to be and to set your goals, but you need a team, you need a community, you need information yes. constantly. And that's what this place is about. So one of the more satisfying phenomenon of having been here so long is that people keep coming back. And they're not coming back because they're failing. They're coming back and saying, you know, I did that thing for three years and then I this other deer, you know, so I figured I'd come back and check in and see what else is going on here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going yeah. yeah. to come back. Yeah. So just a quick question for you, just personally, at, starting as a dancer, how did you leave from becoming a dancer to a career counselor? Career counselor. My career was stopped by illness. I was with the Boston Ballet when I was a kid. I got sick with some kind of virus or something. Mm. And I think, and then what happened is I just basically collapsed. I mean, I just fell apart. In my own, when I look back at it now, it was too much. I was going from Providence to Boston every day from school. I was in that not eating thing and mm. all those bad things. My legs were never long enough, so I figured I could be thinner. I mean, just nonsense. Yes. Total nonsense. 
so but my real, I mean, but normal nonsense. That's what's so. That's yeah. a normal way for on a dancer to think. On yeah. an adolescent mind, yeah, who just wanted to smile and tell everybody's fine, and I didn't want to admit to anyone that I was scared or unhappy because they'd say, "Well, you're smart. You can do something else," and that was the last thing I wanted to hear. Same right. thing that you were reflecting before. So basically, my body took care of me and said no. Mm. So I spent number of months my thyroid got thrown off you know gained weight all that kind of stuff when I pulled out of it I decided okay I am a smart person and I went to college where normal people were <laughs> the other thing that was true in the background is my mother was an assistant to Adrian Hall at Trinity Rep which is a was a you know for 27 years I love Trinity so I grew up in Providence I grew up at Trinity all the that whole theater community was my family so it was just normal for me to be around creative people who made a living doing that and felt that was their primary interest. So that was just a value that I had. And I went to school, I went to Brown, I stayed in Providence. And then I started writing theater reviews, you know, ah. and, and when things came, and it was like, I like to write. They, I knew what I was talking about, sort of, you know, so I figured, okay, I'll write if I can't do it. I'll, you know, it's interesting to me to try to put in words something that's, that's not words. Or that was an event that happened. The theater piece happened. How do you explain it to people who weren't there? I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So then I went to journalism school. My father was very supportive. Wow. You know, and I thought the arts writing was interesting to me, but I was really at sea in my relationship to dance and so forth. And then I met my husband, who was a journalist, and we moved back to Providence, and I knew I wanted to have children. I knew I was really interested in family and making a life and a family life. And since I was happy to take on that role, yeah, you know, and he was happy to go fight the dragons. Yeah. I mean, and uh, so we have three kids. And in watching those kids grow up, I got even more fascinated by what is that creative development in a person. So my three children are, the oldest is 42. She's a painter and teaches art at college. And my son is a musician who lives in Bushwick and is a composer, in-house composer at a music production company and has his own band and he's selling his own singer-songwriter. He went to the auspicious Juilliard School. That's wow. What, that's what the conductor called it when we did. Yes. Yeah. In French horn performance, by the way, but now he's a singer-songwriter. Impressive. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah, and my youngest one is her third year of teaching at Florida State Dance Department and she's a PhD, Dr. Schwadron. Oh, wow. Dance study. So they bought the program, all three. Yeah. My husband's a journalist and, and trombonist. So... That was all fascinating to me, and we lived in L.A. for 17 years, and when my youngest one was turning eight, I thought, this is dangerous. I was the volunteer lady in those years at school, <laughs> but aggressive volunteer lady, created a nonprofit organization for the neighborhood school. I did the, you know, I edited the newsletter for our synagogue. I mean, I was like crazy, nice. right? Yeah. I thought, this is dangerous, because if something happens to my husband, I've been out of the workforce for 10 years. So I did take a part-time job with a career counselor who put an ad in the Temple newsletter. Oh, wow. So I said, Susan, I could. So I was working part-time as an admin, and I was listening to what she was doing with clients, and I thought, huh. And my husband said to me, I said, you know, I'm, and I'm helping her write reports that she's doing because she was also what they call a vocational expert to the courts. Part of her practice was doing full assessments of people involved in wrongful termination or divorce cases. Oh. To say what the person's current and future employability and wage earning capacity would be. Susan could not type. 
and I was a researcher. So basically, I did. Re- she would say, "Here's the story on this person. Go find out what the jobs are, what the pay rate is," and I would do full research because the journalism background and yeah. write these reports. And after a while, and they were used in court. I mean, she would be deposed in court and the whole thing. And after I said to my husband, "I'm not." real happy about this information being used in an adversarial system, although it's really interesting for me to get this information. And he said, well, you're in a career counseling office, you may have noticed, what would you like to do? So I said, I want to be Susan. So Susan Miller, and she's still a wonderful practitioner in LA. So I went to grad school, I went to Cal State Northridge and studied educational psychology and career counseling. And within two seconds, it was clear that the population I cared most about were performing artists. So then when we moved and I did my intern, I mean I did, you know, career transition for dancers, the Actors Fund were all out in LA, I had, you know, colleagues that I was meeting and then when I moved back to New York, because my husband came to the New York Times networking, they had an opening at the Actors Fund. And next thing you know. At the Actors Work Program. Yes. In 1999. And you've been here ever since. Ever since. One last question, you mentioned you had a meeting today that Actors Fund is very bi-coastal now. That's amazing. It's really a national program. We have, I mean, there are big offices in LA, which really then handle the Western region. I mean, and this is a very big active office here in the Eastern region. We have in the middle, there is a part-time social worker and a part-time dancer's career counselor in Chicago. There are efforts now to raise funds to build Chicago presence and the Midwestern presence as well. So when we were looking at this bi-coastal, it's over 100 people that are working on behalf of people over the country, the impact on with the hurricanes and the, you know, in Texas and and in Puerto Rico, the amount of help that we're giving people all over the country and the dancer piece particularly, there's funding for us to do outreach. I've traveled to a number of cities to just meet with dancer groups to let them know that the Actors Fund is a resource to them. Our data this year showed that the populations that we're working with, first comes you know, actors, uh, next comes dancers. Wow. The message is getting yeah. out. I talked to clients last week, someone in Israel, in Great Britain, in Germany. These are American dancers who are working overseas and are asking about their planning. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun. Well, I'm so glad I stumbled across it. I mean, there's, there's a very informative email yeah. And um, I just don't always read it, and I'm going to have to start reading it more. Yeah, uh, and coming to things. I mean, on the, what I would encourage people to do is on the on ActorsFund.org website, on the bottom on the right, you can just sign up for a newsletter. The newsletter doesn't come a lot, but it says here are workshops that are happening, here are events that are happening. It's just you get to see in those newsletters just the, the full spectrum of issues and programs. Some of them are fun. I have... Next Monday, we've started something called Conversations With, where we invite a speaker. But we've done three, and they've all been around books, with the, where we've invited the author. Next Monday, Alton Fitzgerald White is oh. coming to talk about his book that he wrote about the Lion King, his life yes. in the Lion King. And he's coming, and we, you know, we put, and basically we have food, and we, I ask questions. They really, the questions relate to just how have you managed yourself through this life. In the book, it was fun at one point. He was stuck in Chicago. Several things fell down and friends said, go to the Actors Fund. And they gave him money to get him out of trouble. You know, just like that one time, one shot. Yeah. And now he's 
written a book and he's doing public speaking and he's working he did a TED talk and he's helping kids and he's like it's a he you just keep you know creating and recreating yourself and what have you learned and it's about his childhood and but it's these stories I think are very very helpful for people to hear that it's you know it's a journey for everyone yeah and you don't get to control the story, but you do Not get to control what you learn from things. This woman, Susan, I worked next to for so long, eight years, her statement was, we learn the most from our most horrible experiences. And it's just... True. Because, yeah. Yeah. And we have places like the Actors Fund well, to help support you. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. come here and just... People are just... They can't believe, first of all, in orientation, like, okay, I'm not weird here. And mm-hmm. it's not a sign of failure. It, in a sense, it's sort of smart. Yeah. Why wouldn't you come here if you're working in the industry? It's a little investment of time. And the orientation, you just get the overview, get the newsletter, and then you're if something comes up, you have a connection. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Patch. My pleasure. Uh, and I, I look forward to taking advantage yeah. more of this place. I look forward to seeing you here. Yes. So hi, I'm sitting here at the Actors Fund up in the beautiful Friedman Health Center and I'm here with Renata Marinero. And I'm thrilled to be here because I had no idea that this center even existed. And it's brand new and you just said there are 10 exam rooms. We're sitting in a conference room where you have insurance seminars. So it's pretty miraculous that this is here and it's for the general public in the arts to use. So tell me a little bit about it and how we can gain access. Absolutely. So it is. It's an absolutely beautiful facility. We actually just celebrated our first birthday on March 6th. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) We are in partnership with Mount Sinai. We have two primary care physicians who are actual physicians. They're not actors playing doctors. They're actual physicians. (laughs) And they're very good at what they do. They're wonderful, wonderful, warm, caring, committed people. One is a family medicine practitioner. The other is internal medicine and sports medicine. We also have a dermatologist here on site on Thursdays. And we will be getting a physical therapist which is very important for this community yes, coming it is. yes in probably in May or June. So it's a primary care and specialty care center located in the heart of Times Square. We are at 729 7th Avenue on the 12th floor, so it's between 48th and 49th Street, so easily accessible. We have extended hours here, so we really wanted to be sensitive to entertainment industry needs. We're open until 7 o'clock every night, except for Fridays. We open at 8.30 in the morning. We have fabulous uh, medical assistants, wonderful staff who always get rave reviews for their phlebotomy. And we have a really great committed staff of insurance counselors as well. So one of the things that we wanted to keep in mind in opening this health center was that their insurance status comes and goes in the industry, you know, right? So you may get six months of insurance or a year of insurance, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And you're not familiar with the health insurance industry. You don't know what all these terms mean. You don't understand what the options are. And also, P.S., they're constantly changing, Right. right? Yes. So we've got four people on staff here who can really help you understand what your options are. They are not brokers. We are not making any money off of this. We are very unique in that we offer very comprehensive information. Unlike, you know, if you went, for example, to apply for Medicaid in a local office, they would only know about Medicaid, right? But here we know that as an entertainment industry member, if you just went off of your union coverage, for example, you might be eligible for what's called the COBRA subsidy. If you're eligible for COBRA through an entertainment union, 
you may be eligible for a subsidy to pay for half uh, for the state to pay for half of your COBRA premiums. Really? Because that's ex COBRA is expensive. <laughs> right. I know I personally have opted to not ha be insured for two or three months in between just because I couldn't afford the COBRA. Right. So if you had come to us, and we really encourage everybody to come to us first, if they have any kind of health insurance question, health care <sighs> question, you should think about us first. Because uh, that is out there and a lot of people don't know about it and people aren't taking advantage of it as much as they could. So um, we can tell you about that subsidy. It's very easy to apply for. There's just a one month look back as far as your income goes. So they want to see that your income is below a certain amount in the prior month and then you get 12 months of your COBRA premiums paid for you at 50%, which is a huge deal. Huge. So yeah, so the Actors Fund lobbied hard for that more than a decade ago. We're really proud that that exists in New York State. You can take advantage of it. And those are the kinds of things that the insurance counselors at the Freedman Health Center would be able to help you understand. And so do you have to be a union member? Do you have to be a theater performer? Great question. No, absolutely not. So we see everybody here regardless of their union coverage. So you can be union, non-union, um, as long as you're a member of the performing arts entertainment community, you're welcome to come. We take a lot of different types of insurance. Obviously, we do take all of the union plans. Right. We also take almost all employer plans. We do take Medicare. We take a couple Marketplace or Obamacare plans, take the Essential Plan, which is for anybody that makes less than $24,000 a year, and we also do discounts for people who are uninsured. So let's say that you didn't know about that COBRA subsidy, right? And you know that you're going to be uninsured for three months. You didn't sign up for something. You can come to us and if you are uninsured or underinsured, and by underinsured we mean you have a $2,000 deductible mm. or more, then you can get visit with a primary care physician and lab work for $40 as long as you have been a working member of the entertainment industry. So you would meet with one of the insurance counselors, they would look at your income and your industry income, see if you meet the eligibility guidelines, and then you can come here for $40 and you're getting wow. an amazing service. Yeah, so it's much, much cheaper than going elsewhere, paying oh, full price. Yes. And not only that, but you've got really fabulous physicians who really understand the industry. They get it that maybe you need to go you need to perform tonight and your voice is not working correctly or you know you're a dancer and you've got this chronic back pain or you know whatever whatever the situation yeah. is so but so you can also if they have doctors if you have strep throat they have you have, exactly. you have a lab exactly so it can be something as a stub toe to chronic pain chronic conditions acute conditions like a stub toe strep throat any of the things that you would see your general primary care physician for you can come here for and in addition, of course, also the dermatology, the sports medicine, and the physical therapy. Can you walk in? Is it you get appointments? We do encourage people to make appointments <laughs> just because it can get, you know, nobody likes to wait. So when you've got walk-in, sometimes it can get backed up. So we do encourage you to make an appointment, even if it's to call the day of. Frequently, we can accommodate you the day of. So, but uh, we do ask that people call in advance and we'll get you in. You can also make an appointment via ZocDoc. A lot of people make an appointment via ZocDoc, so. Oh, this is fantastic. And, well, I just have to ask, who is Friedman? Who, why, Samuel J. Friedman, yeah. yes. So, Samuel J. Friedman, that was father of Jane Friedman, and that is who the health center is named after. So, oh, she okay. was a benefactor. Oh, mm -hmm. she was a benefactor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, mm -hmm. we have to definitely 
thank her. Yes, absolutely. And also Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, SAG-AFTRA Foundation, they all contributed. Oh. Yeah. Well, this is really great. You mentioned on the way in here that you also uh, have wellness programs and mm -hmm. different types of workshops and seminars. Yes. And, all, and that's all free? How? That's all free, yeah. So the wellness events and the seminars are free. So I'll start with the wellness events. So we do a monthly wellness workshop here. So far, we've had a workshop in January on female reproductive health. We did one in February on nutrition where the nutritionist actually came in and cooked here she made some chili it was really great now we're having one uh, how to handle insomnia so a lot oh, of wow. people you know it's New York City nobody gets enough sleep yeah and how can you treat sleep problems without medication so we've got a sleep doctor coming in from Mount Sinai to talk about that so every month it's a different topic we will be having our doctors doing something on chronic back pain on repetitive stress injuries. We've got something coming up on dermatological issues with our dermatologist. We've got something on vocal health. We're doing a vocal health mm. seminar as well as a hearing screening. So these are all things that you can take advantage of for free and they're all you can see them easily on our workshop calendar at actorsfund.org. So if you go to the actorsfund.org website and look at the workshop calendar, you'll see these events planned out. The other thing that we do that's free are our weekly seminars on Medicare. So every mm. Monday is Medicare Mondays from 1 to 2 o'clock. If you are going into Medicare or you're confused about Medicare or a loved one is going into Medicare and you need some information, it's a great way to get basic info on that. And every Thursday from 12 12.30 to 1.30, we do a seminar called Every Artist Insured, where we go over all of the options for people in New York City. So that would include how do you estimate your income for these exchange programs if it's variable or sporadic, or you don't know what you're going to make tomorrow? What is Medicaid? What is Child Health Plus? What are the pros and cons of the exchange plans? So we really want people to be educated consumers so that they can make the best choices for themselves and for their families. I mean, I'm a little uh, overwhelmed because even my doctor, who I love, when I was uninsured, he gave me a discount rate and it was $120. And that was his discount. Mm -hmm. So I could have come come here for 40. Mm -hmm. So question for about you. Mm -hmm. How did you, what's your background? How did you end up here at the Actors Fund? Yeah. Around these bunch of crazy <laughs> artists. So I'm a social worker. I would never have the fortitude that it takes to be in the entertainment industry. I so admire Everybody, the ushers, stagehands, directors, everyone in this industry, because it if is. If I was an usher, I'd be here all the time for back pain. <laughs> they stand so much right. and have to be like alert. Right. Oh, yeah. That's. I mean, that's people don't realize that those type of jobs are just as hard as in your body. My first job actually was as an usher on Broadway. So, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually grew up in Kansas City, but my father lived just down the street in Manhattan Plaza. He was an actor, and so he got me this job as an usher, and I was petrified. It was. <laughs> <laughs> like it just seemed like the hardest thing because people would come up and they would complain and they'd come in late and they'd say oh somebody's sitting in my seat and it was really tough so that was my first job so at that point I was like yeah I'm never getting into this this is really <laughs> this is too hard for me so I ended up going into social work and I've worked in various hospitals in the city I worked for a charitable organization that helped cancer patients I've worked in a drug rehab so I've seen how the healthcare system works 
and also how it sometimes doesn't work so well. So our goal here is really to provide quality care for people because that can sometimes get lost yes. in the shuffle with so many things changing in the healthcare industry. So we really want to make sure that people are treated as people yes. <laughs> and not as numbers and that their needs are met. And, and we really have a great team here. So I'm super proud of them. You, you really do. I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. I go to doctors all the time. Uh-huh. Um, but I have several friends that because it's such a pain in the butt to go to the doctors and insurance, they'd rather just skip it. And then, you mean, three months later, I was like, oh, how's this injury? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I didn't go to the doctor because of the hassle. And this place sounds like it eliminates that. And on top of it, educates you. You know, I mean, I definitely would love that insomnia workshop because I do take medication and I wish I didn't. Yes. So just knowing that these type of things are at your fingertips is amazing. And now I I'm, I'm, know I'm going to be doing it. That's how I found out about so much of this is I started doing some of the programs here and it kind of opened my eyes. Yeah. And they're like, have you been to the 12th floor? I was like, no, why? What's there? And they're like, you need to meet Renata. <laughs> so thank you so much for this. Thank- I really appreciate your generosity. So great. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. I'm sitting here at the Actors Fund with Christopher Bloodworth, and he is the National Director of the Career Center. And you also have an MSW after your name. What does that stand for? A Master's of Social Work. Of social work? Yes. Wow. Yes. So if people come in and they also have like issues that go along with their career, they can talk to you about that. Like, I don't think I'm, I can ever perform anymore. <laughs> this is driving me crazy. Absolutely. One of the core components of our services is being able to counsel people uh, through the complexities um, they experience having a life in the business. And so some of it is absolutely socially related. So they might have some either cognitive or emotional problems that they are experiencing. And we can begin to work with them on helping to resolve those issues. But this seems like almost everyone, once you choose to do show business as a life, you know you're going to have social and uh, <laughs> uh, emotional issues. It's just, I think it's just part of it because you realize that you're always going to be transitioning and always auditioning and, you know, it's crazy. Having a place to come that you can talk about things that is free mm-hmm. is amazing. So what is it that your actual position here? So as the national director of of the Career Center, my responsibility is to set all of the policies and procedures related to helping artists begin to understand how to navigate their career through the industry. Mm. And a lot of that navigation includes having to have alternative sources of income. And so that's the the sideline gig. What I try to tell people to avoid is the soul-crushing gig, Uh, those things that they don't want to do but they feel they have to do in Mm. order to make a life for themselves. So our job is to help them find meaningful work that puts aside those soul-crushing gigs so that they are able to thrive uh, as they're working in their primary discipline, not, you know, just survive. That's amazing because I think, for me personally, I did a, a year of, of soul, a soul-crushing <laughs> side job, and it was so miserable that like it wasn't even worth the, the money I gave. And I didn't know that there was something like this to do it. I mean, I've had amazing survival jobs that have been helped me thrive. What type of jobs? I mean, I'm just so curious because I now I might need to do this when I get back into town. How do you find jobs that are right for you that aren't like go be a waitress at Applebee's? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a good question, and actually, a lot of artists who end up coming to us 
experienced the same thing. One, they've not they've not heard of our services, and as a result of not hearing it, they've been trying to figure it figure it out on their own. And also, a lot of artists aren't thinking about what is meaningful work and what meaningful work means. Yeah. And so there is no one career pathway that we can prescribe for everyone in the performing arts and entertainment. Uh, what we do is we work with each individual to figure out what their curiosities are, what their passions are, and we try to connect those passions to their purpose. And so what we like to say at the Career Center is that we help you find your end. And that end mm. is that I'm an actor and I really love working with animals, right? So how can I figure out a ways to derive an alternative source of income working with animals? Because that brings me the same level of, of joy and passion as when I'm on stage. Right. And so that's what we do. So we have career counselors that work with individuals one on one uh, to help support their unpacking or discovering their individual voice and their individual interests so that they can begin to move in that direction and not necessarily fall into those areas that they've become accustomed to, which then becomes the survival jobs, which then becomes the soul crushing work that they don't really want to do, but they default to because they are used to doing it. Right. And then you end up walking to an audition with an empty soul and you don't get a good job because you're or you don't have time to practice because for prep for the audition because of your job but what if say I do like animals I don't even have a pet I have no skill with it like my resume is just really performing so it's like then how do I come to you and say you know what I what's something that's meaningful to me would be like I would love to to deal with with the handicap but I mean I I have no experience. I mean, how do you find someone's meaningful job when they only know how to sing and dance? Yeah, that's that's a good question. What we do is once a person has figured out what their interest is, right? So we go, we'll go through a number of assessments. So we have the Myers-Briggs assessment, for example, the MBTI, which we take and give to individuals that helps to point exactly to where someone's interest may lie. And not only are we doing it, doing that type of assessment, we're also doing other forms of assessments to help figure out what drives you, what moves you. Once we figure those things out, and let's say, for example, you don't have experience working with animals, but you're interested and curious about establishing that, we'll set up a series of interviews, informational interviews um, between you and people, let's say, that we have connections with um, so that you can go and shadow um, those individuals mm. who are doing those type, that type of work to see, does this resonate with me? And if it does resonate with you, then you can begin to figure out, are there opportunities for me to work with this individual or other spaces that I can do some volunteer work that will allow me to build up my resume and build up the skills that I need in order to make this a full-time avenue. So that's an example of what we might do. But one of the things that we found is that when people are beginning to dive into their end or unpack their end, they actually have been doing work in that area or they've been doing things in that area, but it's never clicked to them that that could become a source of income, right? Yeah. So it's, it's just a matter of getting people to see what they're not seeing. Yeah. I think my, my fear, my personal fear is reaching out to someone like you about when you say the, the word, you know, I mean, career center, I'm like, no, I, children's this is my career i don't want to put my effort into learning something else because it's gonna distract me but it's also i think it's a 
on top of that, it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of something else where you know that your waitering job isn't, you're not investing time. Where if you're going to learn about something and volunteer to make it an and, it's going to take focus. So I think that that's where I would be hesitant because I, I don't want to be like, I, I don't want to have an and. But if I look at me personally, I have like 27 ands. Yes. But I think that we don't want to acknowledge that because we don't want to think that we're unfocused. Yes. I think artists by nature are curious. Yeah. I think artists believe in curiosity and they explore things far beyond their realization. And in exploring these things, they are developing multiple thoughts, beliefs, practices around the word work or the idea of career. So career can be this very limited, finite word, right? Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about a career and career for performing arts and entertainment professionals, we're talking about the fact that it, it is known to be episodic. Mm -hmm. Right. So we know that this is episodic. We know that there are going to be periods of time when people are going to be working and there are going to be periods of time when people are not working. And so knowing that in order to make a life in the business, an individual must figure out how they're going to, let's say, work the arc of their career. Mm. Right. So, you know, in the beginning, you know, what are the things that I need to do as I'm auditioning and I'm not necessarily getting the parts that that I'm going for, but at the same time I have rent, I have, you know, responsibilities, I have yeah. things I need to do. Right. So I am still pursuing my primary discipline, but I'm also at the same time developing a secondary source of income that's going to allow me to find meaning in my days and not dread in my days as I'm moving through the arc of my career. So when I get to the middle of my career, then what I was doing as my secondary interest at the beginning of my career may shift, right? Mm. Because I've developed more skills, I have more autonomy, let's say with my schedule and how I'm doing things. So as a result of that, maybe I can become more creative and establish, for example, an entrepreneurial effort, right? Yeah. And that's something else that we support people in uh, here and because we have the Creative Entrepreneur Project, which teach performing artists how to establish and set up a business of their own or how to apply business principles to their primary discipline. So therefore, they're running their primary discipline like a business, let's say. But, you know, if you're going on this arc again, you know, you may be able to do something different towards the middle of your career. And if you're going towards the end of that arc, right, so I'm looking at the point where, wow, my life is changing and I may want to do something different. So maybe now I want to teach or I want to add teaching along with my, my acting or teaching along with my writing, mm. right? That's going to help me bring in an additional source of income. So I guess our point here is that we're not telling artists to turn away from their primary focus. Our goal is to get artists to recognize that there has to be an additional source of income or multiple sources of income in order to support you as you're moving through your career. And those sources of income should not be things you just do. They should be things that mean something to you that informs your work, that helps you begin to think holistically about what it means to leave an impact um, through your art or otherwise in the world. I could listen to you talk all day long. <laughs> no, I mean, this is amazing. And I think too, because I know for me, I'm trying to find meaning just in my life. And 
realize that I'm not always getting the meaning back from show businesses I used to, mm-hmm. and that I put too many eggs in that basket. So thinking, but I don't think I ever thought of a survival job of like giving me meaning. And so I think that that's an amazing aspect that of, of what you're saying and what this place has to offer. Yeah, there's a quote that I love by Kilo Gibran, whose book The Prophet is one of my one of my favorite. And it's prose poetry, and in in that book, there's a quote that I, I often use when working with artists. And the quote is, "Work is love made visible." Right, mm. and I love that word, that that quote, because it's true. Work is love made visible, and when performing artists is on the stage and they're they're delivering their lines and they have become that character and they come alive within that space that is love made visible through their work right and so that doesn't end or it shouldn't end when the person is not working in that space so you know the love of what they're doing or the commitment or I, I, I shy away from the word passion often but the purpose that they have in connecting with others the purpose that they have and bringing the best out of themselves and others simultaneously through what they do should not just be when they're on the stage it should also exist when they're doing something else that helps to support their their life or their work in the industry well i think that's amazing how did you end up here because i mean with your msw (laughs) you could be working anywhere and you're and you seem crazy intelligent why do you decide to work with crazy actors Well, you know, it's very interesting how I ended up here. I had never heard of the Actors Fund prior to being called by the Actors Fund because there was a position open for the national director position. They headhunted you. Yes, so I was actually headhunted for this position. Prior to this, I I have a long history of working within the workforce development uh, field, and the workforce development field is essentially the ways in which individuals uh, work to get work for people in need of work. (laughs) So that's essentially what workforce, what happens within workforce development. So I had been working in that arena for some time uh, and I got a call from the Actors Fund and I said, ah, that seems interesting. And I totally blew it off because I said, ah, I love what I'm doing now. And at that time I was working for a small community-based organization in Yorkville uh, that was working with youth. And I worked with youth from the ages of five to uh, 24. But my work with workforce development tended to center around youth between 16 and 24 years Mm. of age, right? So I loved it. It was like, oh, this is my life's work. This is what I'm going to do forever, right? But so I totally blew off the Actors Fund. And, you know, they reached back again and they said, we really love to talk to you. And so I came in and I met with the hiring team. And once I walked through the doors, once I began to understand what this organization was about, it tapped into the creative, expressive nature that exists within me. So I've always been an artist. I'm a a singer. I've been singing since I was five years old. I attempted to act uh, when I was young, (laughs) but I quickly realized that that wasn't something that was my best, but I did play uh, action in college. You did? (laughs) I did. I played action in college and I actually... He's a hothead and you seem so calm. Yes. Well, that's acting for you. Yes, it is. (laughs) 
So I did get a little acting in, in over time, but music has always been my love. I, I, I played piano as well, and I learned that by ear, uh, as well as I'm a photographer and oh. other creative oh, outlets yeah. that, I, that I have. And so, so you fit in completely. Here. Yes. So once I understood what this organization was doing and that coming here would allow me for the very first time to bring my full self to work, I could not pass up this offer. So that's how I ended up here. And I've been here now almost four years, and it's probably the most exciting, the most creative, the most stimulating place I've ever worked. And I tell people all the time that in thinking about work, work should make you feel that way. Yes. Right? So it's not just, I'm also, I'm also a writer, a novelist. When I'm writing, how does that make me feel? When I am taking photographs, how does that make me feel? And when I'm sitting here in this office, how does that make me feel? Do I get that same tingly, bubbly feeling yeah. inside of me? And I do. Because if I did not, I wouldn't show up, right? Because then it would be soul-sucking. So. Well, and so you're a prime example of having an and. And that's what we need is an, an and to know that all aspects of our life should fulfill us. Mm -hmm. And then if that happens for me, it's going to make me a better performer. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. This was a, a real pleasure. You know, it's always interesting when you walk in and have no idea who this person is, and you're a, a joy. I mean, I like my therapist, but if I didn't, I would like start coming to you, I think. <laughs> awesome. But if you ever need to come, stop by. Oh, I, you know, I definitely might. I have a lot of ands in my life that are fantastic, one being a podcast, mm -hmm. believe it or not. And I don't make money doing it because it's never been my intention. But now people are like, you really should, that's how you do it. And I was like, that, the stress of trying to figure out how to do that is daunting. So I would encourage you to think about participating in our Creative Entrepreneur Project. And the reason why I say that is that our goal is to take people who may have businesses already, like a podcast, and begin to figure out how to monetize that. And we work with you every step of the way to help you figure out your mission, vision, and values, and how those things connect to your messaging. And then we have workshops on branding and marketing, mastering your digital presence, and creating an exceptional uh, business plan that will help you get funders who then can help you support and work. So, so we would absolutely be interested in talking with you about those things. Well, I'm definitely coming back. Thank you so much. I so appreciate this. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. So hi, I'm sitting here with Catherine Drury. You run the social work part of the Actors Fund, is that correct? So I'm the social worker for a program called the Dancers Resource, which is the social services program specifically for dancers at the Actors Fund. So it lives within social services at the Actors Fund. And it's geared just towards Broadway dancers alone or? Nope, all types of dancers. So anyone who has worked as a dancer, considers themselves a professional dancer, or has worked as a dancer in the past, they would go through my program, and that's any type of dance. So ballet, theater, contemporary, hip-hop, burlesque dancers, <laughs> you name it. That's amazing, because I think there's a, a misconception that the Actors Fund is solely for theater. Yeah, we're definitely, you know, much better known in the theater community. We've been doing a lot of outreach and work to try to get the word out that we are here for all dancers as well. So this podcast will hopefully help us do that a little more. Oh, absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I definitely wanted to interview you and meeting you was one of the sparks of doing this podcast mm -hmm. is because I am in one of your groups. I'm in uh, your 10-week 
series for uh, injured dancers. Correct. So I was here, and I was every time I came into the building for one of your groups, mm-hmm. I was amazed at how much there was going on here. And so a friend of mine was like, "You should do a podcast about this." And so I definitely wanted to interview you because mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing to come into a group of like-minded people because my group alone is a mixture of every type of dancer there is in New York City and there's such a a commonality of it that I mean no matter what your age or your gender knowing that there's a program that's specific to the social mentality of a dancer which is very different is amazing so uh, tell me about your programs yeah so well just to say you know that diversity I think is part of what makes the group so rich as you see kind of shared experiences and shared challenges across the different dance disciplines. The reason that the Actors Fund has a program specifically for dancers is that it recognizes that the dancers experience of the entertainment industry and the performing arts is really different from that of of other professionals. I think dancers have a different relationship to their craft because it's, it's their bodies that they're working with and because dancers tend to start their training at a very young age and commit you know and and sacrifice so much for performing they have a really unique relationship with the industry and any sort of disruption of that relationship or any break in a dancer's career can really feel like like a crisis and so my program the dancers resource was started actually little over 10 years ago, I think, by B.B. New Earth. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, after she had had a hip replacement surgery. She was reflecting on just how challenging and significant that whole experience was, how lonely she felt throughout the process, how challenging it was for her to get the services and the support and the care that she needed and kind of recognizing wow if if this has been so difficult for me and I'm BB newer yeah. you know how how much more profound must it be for you know for every other dancer yeah. who, who experiences an injury. And so the support group for injured dancers was really her her brainchild. Ah. Um, she's always felt strongly that that be a part of the program. And I see why. I mean, it's, it's really a, a powerful thing that the Actors Fund offers. It's the only support group for injured dancers that I know of that exists. Yeah. And, and just, I only saw it online because I was injured. And I okay. was depressed and couldn't get out of bed. And I actually was like... Oh, I'll read this stupid email I get from the actor's fund. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, like, mm. read your emails, people. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's gems in there. There right? are, yeah. You know, a lot of what I do through my program is provide, you know, counseling and support to dancers. You know, I do a lot of case management as well, so helping dancers connect to you know, healthcare and health insurance and different benefits and resources. I also, you know, if a dancer is in need of emergency financial assistance, I watch, walk them through that application process here. But the majority of what I do is really provide counseling and, and support around a variety of different issues. And I think, you know, the dancer's experience and particularly the injured dancer's experience can be so isolating that to come to a safe space and share that experience with other dancers and to get support and and find that you're you're kind of not alone in in those struggles and those feelings of loss can be just really healing and I've seen it you know every cycle that I've run the group how it's helped dancers either get back to dance and performing more quickly or you know move in a different
different direction if that were that's where their their life and career is headed i know mine is a 10-week course is it how often do they have it is it every 10 weeks so I offer it now three times a year. So I usually do a cycle in the fall and then a cycle kind of in the winter. And then I'll be in doing another cycle in the spring. For each group, I, I have like a few weeks beforehand where I'm interviewing and kind of getting the word out and, and dancers contact me. And I do just kind of a brief screening to make sure that the group is actually what, you know, the dancer is looking for and um, that it's the right type of support for them, that they'll be kind of, you know, group appropriate. No singers um, allowed. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, no, you, know, <laughs> you know, that that the injury is in fact, you know, what they're, they're looking for, that support and guidance are around and then as you've seen it's it's a fairly unstructured group it's really meant to be you know what the group members need it to be and that's been slightly different every cycle I'm there to kind of hold the space I'll bring different topics to the group can speak to it as well but we've talked about you know identity we've talked about loss and and mourning and grief aging aging yeah we've looked at different relationships and and the dance community and the role that that plays in injury recovery talked about body image and other topics that i think especially in this cycle group members have come kind of with with some other topics that i haven't even explored yet with other groups so things like jealousy and regret yeah Uh, it's been a great cycle i mean unfortunately i think in the hierarchy of show business for some reason dancers are at the bottom of the totem pole and I think so we already come into life situations and and performing situations as feeling less than mm. and you know I think back then to, told I'll oh, keep the dancers in the back they can't talk they can't sing that's definitely come around but even just what the in the dance world financially people yeah. are given I think coming into the group, proud as we are as our art, we have an inferiority complex because mm. we're not taken seriously as being a career. Yes, as an artist, we're taken seriously, but not necessarily as a career. Yeah. So I think that that's something we come into because when this is our, our whole identity and it's taken away from us, I mean, we already have self-esteem issues because of, you know what I mean? how the industry looks at us. Right. Yeah, it certainly makes dancers particularly vulnerable, yeah, financially and in terms of, yeah, your sense of having a voice and being able to advocate and stand up for yourself or, you know, the skills that you bring to the table if you choose to move into a different career and the different options and opportunities you have there. You know, and for the injured dancer, that voice is is necessary. Like, we've talked in group a lot about, like, you know, getting proper health care and health insurance and navigating workers' comp and all those frustrations. And yeah, there's something really powerful, you know, I think dancers in particular, like you said, tend to be kind of more self-critical or feel inferior. And But then when there's another dancer kind of sitting across from you who's experiencing very similar things, you know, you're often able to be a lot more generous yes. and supportive. Yes. And, Um, So then providing that support and then trying to kind of hear those same messages for yourself, I think, allows them to sink in a little more than if it's, you know, just a therapist kind of giving you those messages. I was just upstairs talking about insurance, and Mm -hmm. you just said, like, even a working dancer sometimes qualifies for the essential plan. Like, that just shows how little we make, and that's if they're in a great New York company they're still making so little that they're on the Medicaid essential plan. Right. Uh, so it is, it is difficult, and to have these resources here at the Actors Fund is unbelievable. 
So do you also do one-on-ones or what type of counseling do you do outside of the group? So I have the capacity at the Actors Fund to do like short-term counseling, so like five to six sessions. If someone's in need of, you know, more long-term therapy or more ongoing support, I help connect them with resources in the community. So, you know, either with their insurance or, you know, at a very low sliding scale rate. And then, like I said, do a lot of other case management. Do a lot with workers' comp because that's, as soon as I started working here, that was clearly something I needed to know and understand. Yeah. So I, I got some great education from a lot of different workers' comp lawyers. And then actually now I'm offering a, a workers' comp seminar once a quarter um, to try and wow. really get dancers, especially before they're injured, to know how the system works and the process that they have to file or that they have to follow, you know, if and when they are injured, what's expected of them, what benefits are available. And so I'm hoping to build a kind of consistent audience for that seminar as well. Yeah, definitely. So if someone said they did want to come in for the six or seven initial session, you take insurance or is that... So that's through the Actors Fund, so that's at no cost that's to free? them. That's free? Six or yeah. seven sessions for free? Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And then what other, besides the other workshops, do you offer? Uh, I, I mean, the Workman's Comp one, I, I would love to take that one. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot, as you've interviewed other people and discovered, there's a lot, you know, that my colleagues offer at the Actors Fund that I direct people to, you know, stuff at the Career Center or housing health insurance, our financial wellness program is amazing. Mm. You know, I'll do kind of different outreach events, like we've done some things at Gibney or other hubs where dancers gather to try and share, you know, the resources that are available at the Actors Fund, but also to provide, yeah, this education around how to access health care, how to access mental health care, how to, how to get the benefits that you need. So we're always just kind of tailoring what we offer based on what the community is asking for it doesn't have to happen at the Actors Fund. We're happy to travel elsewhere and speak to specific communities as well. So question for you. Yeah. How did you end up at the Actors <laughs> Fund with this like very unique specialty in dancers? Yeah, so I've been a clinical social worker in the city for um, many years now. Do you have long legs. Were you a dancer? So I, 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 <laughs> I grew up training as a, as a ballet dancer. I studied at an intensive ballet school and repertory company oh. into high school. And it was a big part of, yeah, my identity. And it definitely formed, you know, me for who I am today. I ultimately chose after high school to go to college and pursue other things, which was a, a difficult decision at the time. But, you know, dance has remained part of my life. I, I took a break from it for a while and have gone back to class here and there over nice. the years. Still go back and, and see dance performances, certainly. So I've been working as a social worker, working mostly with adolescents and young adults. And I worked in foster care for a time. I worked for some different hospitals. And yeah, as I was just kind of seeing what was out there and what was next for my career, kind of stumbled a, across this role working with the Dancers Resource, and it seemed a perfect blend. I think my work with teenagers has actually... Um, Helped with dancers, is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's informed well my work just because it's a lot around like change and managing change and uh, coping with change and stress. And so... 
yeah, that's equipped me well clinically, I think, for working with dancers. BB has felt strongly that, that a, a former dancer should be in this role because mm. I think it also does provide me with some understanding. You know, I never dance professionally, but just recognizing, yeah, the love for dance and sense of identity with, with dancing and with, with dance as an art form uh, helps me to build that rapport, I think, that much quicker with my clients. Oh, well, great. Well, I think you're amazing. I'm sad that our group is ending um, because I've gotten so much, so much out of it. You uh, have good skills, but also the way the freedom of the room for people to say what they is on their mind and then to be healed by by other people is is wonderful. And I think for dancers, it's great because we already have a group mentality Mm -hmm. when it comes to class. Yeah, we like that. And so we're get and we're getting to use our our minds instead of our bodies. So I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great program. And I know when I walked in, I was depressed, and now I'm leaving the group with a job and a lot of physical therapy and workman's. I mean, all yeah, those other yeah, things. Yeah. So I mean, in in the nine in my nine weeks, it was a long, long journey. But I have to thank the group, and also ha- just having something that you're accountable every week to mm-hmm. go to. You know that you're going somewhere that's gonna heal you mentally, which is gonna make you perform better. absolutely so so thank you for that you're welcome yeah i mean the mental health component of healing from an injury is yeah is very real and yeah yeah, can make a huge difference on a dancer's recovery well so i'm gonna ask you another question that's different from the dancing part what are the other mental health resources that are offered here at the actors fund in general that aren't just dancer specific yeah so the five to six sessions, the short-term counseling and, and mental health referrals, that's available to anyone in the entertainment industry. Oh, not just dancers. Um, yeah. Ah. <laughs> you know, each program uses that a little bit differently. Yeah. So, you know, anyone in the entertainment industry can, can call our intake line and be connected with a social worker for counseling or that case management piece. We have a lot of other groups that go on here. So there's... I guess to name a few, there's a a cognitive behavior therapy for depression and anxiety group that happens. There's um, a couple of different groups for for those with HIV and AIDS. We have several different um, seniors groups. In the past, there's been groups on addiction and recovery. Self-care for women in the entertainment industry was a group that used to happen. Different avenues for different members of the entertainment industry to get some of that support. Even though my career goes other ways, I think I'll always think like a dancer. So that's good to know that you guys like other parts of the business. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thank you again so much, and I will uh, see you soon. Sounds good. I'm at the Actress Fund, and I'm sitting here with Daniel Arno. He is the Director of Affordable Housing. How are you doing today? I'm great. Glad to have you. Thanks. Well, before we ask, I want to ask all about what you do. Earlier, you mentioned that you are a jazz musician. Uh, How did a jazz musician end up at the Actors Fund? What was your journey? Sure, sure. So, yes, I have a background as a musician, played bass, wrote music. And I was always working in arts administration. I was always an arts administrator, working in management, development, fundraising, all the things that programming, all the things that arts administrators do. I was with an organization through the economic collapse and really became interested in how does this system better serve artists, better serve arts workers like myself and the public. I became very interested in this public component. And I decided to kind of explore that through a degree in urban planning. Oh. Um, So I really got the nuts and bolts of urban planning. So looking at public policy and real estate development and how we 
plan cities to better serve people. But I always focused on arts and cultural policy and cultural development. So I'm really excited to be here at the Actors Fund where I can kind of connect those two worlds, um, arts and urban, urban planning, to do this affordable housing work. Really, really with the goal of creating more sustainable communities for artists. Well, I'm going to play dumb and it's not artificial. What does that mean, affordable housing? Like, you, sure. can, you can say, hey, here's an apartment for $100. I mean, <laughs> right, right. So affordable housing is subsidized by the government. And when we talk about affordable housing, we typically think, right, the first question is affordable for whom? Right. And affordability is defined by the government as paying no more than 30% of your income towards housing. As a renter, that means towards rent and utilities. So again, affordable housing subsidized by the government and generally defined as paying no more than 30% of your income towards housing. So is it just eligible for people who are actors, performers, musicians? I mean, how how does someone contact you to say, uh, I need this type of help? Sure, sure. So all affordable housing is based on income eligibility. So that's a big thing that we look at. Before I get dive into that, maybe I can back up, tell yes. you a little bit about our housing work at, at the Actors Fund. Our goal, I think really in terms of affordable housing initiatives, is increasing access to affordable housing opportunities for uh-huh. our constituents, right? People who work in the performing arts and entertainment industry. We do a lot of educational programming and resource sharing through our Housing Resource Center. So that's an online tool. We have lots of great stuff at actorsfund.org for you to check out. Again, that's Housing Resource Center at actorsfund.org. We also have in-person seminars, so group seminars focused on applying for affordable housing in New York City, for example. We have another one focused on Apartment Hunting 101, which is strategies for finding an apartment on the open market. Uh, We do one-on-one consultations that are aimed at a variety of specific topics. So, you know, in addition to those educational programs and and resource sharing programs, we're also involved in policy and advocacy work focused on affordable housing more broadly, but also affordable housing for artists. And then we're also involved in developing affordable housing. So we have a portfolio of properties, some of which are here in New York City, assisted living facility in New Jersey, and another affordable housing property in Los Angeles. And then increasingly, we're working as a partner with developers who are creating affordable housing too. Oh, that's fantastic. And I mean, I had like no idea. I mean, I knew there was like an Actors Fund building because I think I've gone and gotten a flu shot there maybe once. Uh-huh. But I don't think I realized how you got in and anyone can be eligible. Yeah, eligibility. Um, typically, we start, again, I mentioned this, income eligibility. That's, right. the big, that's the big thing to think of. When I say income eligibility, it's at a number of affordability ranges, ranging from extremely low to low to moderate to middle income. Okay. Affordable housing for everyone. Yeah. And it just means that there's income eligibility criteria and also rents are restricted depending on what affordability level you fall into. You know, while there is designated artist housing and there's a rich history of that in New York City, right? We have Manhattan Plaza and even our buildings, uh, the Friedman Residence, Skirmerhorn. Uh, West Bath, right? We have Mm. buildings like this in New York City, which are specific to the artists. There's a very ambitious city housing plan. So the city and the private sector are developing a ton of affordable housing. And this is accessible to individuals through New York City Housing Connect, which is really this online 
portal for applying for all the new affordable housing lotteries. And that's really what we're directing folks towards. Um, so a lot of the work we do here is focused on how do you apply? How do you create an application? Mm. How do you, and this is the crux of it, I think, for most artists particularly, or folks in the gig economy more broadly, is how do you calculate your annual household income? It's something that's very easy to do for someone who might be have a single employer and one or two W-2s at the end of the year. Right. For folks who, who work in the industry whose income is episodic, right? Yeah. It comes in episodes. Yeah. It's fluctuating. It um, comes from a ton of different sources. It's often hard to verify. Yeah. This idea of saying, when does a gig start and end is a difficult thing for us to get a, a letter for sometimes. Yeah. A lot of the work we do is coming up with, with sound methodologies for calculating your annual household income so that when you fill out that application, you can actually see what your income eligible for and which opportunities your income eligible for and where you fall in some of these income ranges. Yes. I think last year I had 10 W2s. Right. And like three, 1099s. Exactly. We are very familiar here at the Actors Fund with folks coming in with piles of W-2s and 1099s, and they have non-employment income, right? Folks are collecting unemployment or Social Security right. or receiving gift income from a family member. Lots of different types of income that they look at. While we're familiar with how to deal with that, a lot of the folks, a lot of the developers and the third-party marketing agents who interview people for housing don't necessarily sift through those forms. So part of the work we do is help prepare people to go into those interviews, help them understand their income and how to present it at those housing interviews. Well, say you get a great a great apartment in one of the buildings, and then after being there for a couple of years, you book a Broadway show, and it's going to run for a long time. Now that your income goes up, do they kick you out, or do they raise your rent? Or Right. No, the, the good news is you jump through a lot of hoops at the initial certification. Once you get the lease and you're in the building, while they do recertify your income periodically, if it changes, that won't, won't impact your tenancy. In other words, it won't impact you getting kicked out or it won't impact your rent going up or down. Oh, okay. So the good news is once you're in, you're right. in. Yeah, yeah just there are in. some rules that affect the developer. In other words, if your income goes, let's say, 40% over the maximum income limit that they allow in that unit, that developer might have to allocate another unit to the affordability program, but it won't impact you as a tenant. Oh, okay. Might be a little confusing. It's, it's an important thing to know. And also, all of these new, built, these new units that are in the lottery... Mm -hmm. One of the reasons they're so valuable is not only does the rent start low, it's regulated based on your income and, and restricted based on your income, but it is also rent stabilized. And I don't know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of unique rent regulation laws in New York because our housing market is so bad yeah. and the vacancy rate is so low. We have these rent laws that really protect tenants. So rent stabilization is one of these laws, and all of these new apartments that you can get through the lottery are rent stabilized, which means that your rent can only increase a small regulated amount amount each lease period. So that's a very valuable thing. Well, Andrew, well thank you very much. One last question. Uh, sure. What's your favorite place to go listen to jazz in New York City? Oh, 
That is an incredible question. Okay, so I absolutely love the Vanguard, right? Okay. It's an institution, a listening room, it's four musicians, the programming is wonderful. It's also pricey. It's a, you know, a lot of tourists go there. It tends to be an expensive night, but I love that room. One other jazz room that I love. I mean, Smalls is still doing great. Uh, I yeah. love Smalls. Yeah. Yeah, I used to like going there when I smoked, but it uh-huh. was disgusting because you're yeah. trapped in a basement. I remember those days well. <laughs> bring your own booze yes. and you could smoke in there. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fire hazard of it, but the music was great. Great. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's still, a, it's still a place to see really great players. I and think. do you play? Unfortunately, not as much anymore, but I have young kids in my life right now, and I play music with them, actually more guitar than bass, but my, my, the music I'm doing is mostly with my kids right now, which, which I love. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. Oh,